You're listening to Richard Whitmore's amazing colossal podcast. <laughs> You're listening to Herve Villachez as Paul Williams. No, you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. I'm already lying, and this is my favorite podcast, <laughs> including my own. Love you. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And our guest this week is a writer, occasional film director, and one of the busiest and most respected actors working today. You've seen him in popular TV shows like CSI, Magic City, Masters of Sex, American Horror Story, the current hits Yellowstone and Succession and the multiple Emmy winning HBO series John Adams. He's done excellent work in feature films such as The Aviator, Marie Antoinette, The Constant Gardener, Children of Men, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, Robin Hood, 21 Grams, Grams. uh, 21 Grams. (laughs) 21 Grams. Hitchcock. Hitch. Oh, God. Hitchcock. Big Eyes. Wonder Woman. And Stan and Ollie, just to name a few. And he's also worked behind the camera, directing the well-received features Mr. North, The Maddening, Becoming Colette, and recently released The Last Photograph. In a very active career that began back in the 1980s, he's worked with Anthony Hopkins, Helen Mirren, Robert Mitchum, Al Pacino, Russell Crowe, Leonardo DiCaprio, as well as directors Tim Burton, Ridley Scott, Sofia Coppola, and Martin Scorsese. He's even directed an actor we love to discuss on this show, Burgess Meredith. And, as if all that wasn't enough, he also happens to be a member of a genuine show business dynasty as the half-brother of Oscar winner Angela Houston, Angelica Houston, the grandson of Oscar winner Walter Houston, and the son of one of our favorite filmmakers, the iconic director John Houston. Please welcome to the podcast an artist of many talents and a man versatile enough to play both founding father Samuel Adams and bad boy film producer Robert Evans, Danny Houston. <laughs> Thank you very much. Wow, what an introduction. I, I, I feel that I've, I've, I've fooled you uh, uh, thus far. Maybe I should just uh, uh, leave the room and, and, and go home after the next. Well, you, you, you won't get a longer <laughs> intro than that, Danny. <laughs> Thank you. No, Thank we you. covered a lot. So I, I guess we can do away with the first question. 
uh, were any other members of your family in show business? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it seems to be the, the, the family business. Uh, that's, that's for sure. You know, we just watched Laurel and Hardy, both of us, and you turned up as Hal Roach. Yes. Fascinating, fascinating character. A, a great character to play, and and I was always a, a big fan of Laurel and Hardy, and as a kid, and um, and when I saw John C. Riley and Steve Coogan in in their in their wardrobe and makeup and and doing this sort of magical, delicate dance, I promise you guys, I I, I forgot my my, my dialogue. I was really? just gobsmacked. It was wow. just astonishing. To yeah, see. they really disappeared into those parts. Yeah, and Hal Roach and, produced your favorite my, of Mice and Men. Oh yes, yeah. Speaking yes. of Burgess, yeah, talking, and Lon Chaney Jr. Burgess Meredith. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's funny because like playing Laurel, playing famous characters like that is really tricky because you don't want to be a nightclub comic doing an imitation. No, exa- exactly. But but uh, uh, that character was was pretty much a sort of chew, uh, uh, cigar chewing kind of studio boss yeah. uh, guy. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I was I was quite happy to play him with oh. just a, a, a little arch, you know, yes. just a little. Yeah, yeah. He, and I only had so much time to to, to, to screen time to play to to to, ident- uh, to uh, make him identifiable. He he came out a bit of a scumbag. <laughs> well, you know, you know, you do research into your characters, Danny, and you must know that he was a, a, a Mussolini sympathizer. Uh, yes, and 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 um, and also quite a dictator. Uh, yeah. in, in his in his in his own studio. Um, and uh, and and claimed a certain owner ownership yes. o- over Stan and Ollie. Um, and so, yes, I I, I, I do like playing uh, douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> You've played your share. And now, <laughs> speaking of uh, dictators uh, and Mussolini, uh, you're uh, when Hollywood Hollywood for the longest time wouldn't even mention concentration camps or Jews or anything. And then at the end of World War II, they wanted to document uh, the Holocaust. And I think they sent Alfred Hitchcock, John Stevens. George Stevens. Uh, George Stevens. Yeah. I knew I missed that. That's okay. Yeah, George Stevens, Alfred Hitchcock, and your father, John yeah. Houston, to document. Yeah, yeah. and, and John, John Ford, I believe, and... and, and, and and a few others, but um, yeah, my, my father made a, a, a very important documentary called "Let There Be Light." Yes, it's great, um, and um, it's uh, soldiers suffering from post traumatic stress and and the hypnosis that they go that they go through. Now, apparently, that the screening that he had, which was a, a screening for the armed forces, uh, did not go down very well, uh, and everybody left in order of their rank um, and finally the theater was empty um, and then later um, he won a Congressional Medal of Honor for it How about that uh, yeah and uh, and it was um, it, the, the army insisted that soldiers uh, see the film so that they understand the psychological impact of war he must have been very proud of that of that work yes he did that and he did another one called the Battle of San Pedro uh-huh. uh, which was also also great um, and um, yeah, very, very, very much involved um, in the Second World War, as, as a lot of 
the directors of that time uh, were, and they came back and made extraordinary films. I remember, I think Capra got some resistance too when he made yeah. the, Why, the Why We Fight series. Yeah, um, yeah. There was a lot of pushback. And, and I think George Stevens, after he did the Holocaust documenting, uh, he was very affected. They all were changed. By, yeah. Yeah. Capper, too. It was, they were haunted by it. They, they were haunted, and, and, and the films that they made afterwards was very interesting because some of, them, some of the films were very light and, and fun and, 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 and entertaining, even though there was always a sort of undercurrent of, of, uh, of something, of a work of depth. Uh, uh, but they all went their different, different directions. Um, and, um, yeah, Stevens... Um, and also Frank Capra, mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, different filmmakers entirely, but suffering from the same experience. Before yeah. before the 50s, when your dad got so disenchanted with the way things the way things turned that he wound up going to Ireland, which is which we'll get to later. Yeah, yeah. Did your father ever talk about what he saw there? Yeah, um, I, I remember him saying, "If I ever make a pro-war film, please somebody take me out and shoot me." Oh wow! Wow. That's a strong um, statement. Yeah, um, you know, the the, uh, the the bravery of the men and 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 um, and what what they went through was 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 also uh, uh, a heroic heroic qualities that these men had under these incredibly tough uh, circumstances. Um, let's not forget his his film Red Badge of Courage, sure, uh, yeah. which uh, is is very much about that about a uh, somebody who who, who doesn't commits an action that is considered as heroic, but really it's it's just because of survival. And he had a hard time with that one too. Was it was it wasn't recut? It it was. Yes, it was, it was recut. Yeah. Yes, and Lillian Ross wrote a wonderful book about it. Yes, I remember reading that in your dad's memoir. Yeah, in in open book. I just want to yeah. talk to you. Uh, talk to you again about playing real people because we started with Hal Roach. You also played Orson Welles. Oh wow! <laughs> and Fade to Black. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I think Marlena Dietrich said uh, uh, one should cross oneself before mentioning his name. <laughs> <laughs> so, He's come up a lot on this show. We had Bogdanovich here. Oh wow! So a lot of yeah. a lot of Orson stories. Well, the, the, you know, the other side of the wind uh, is just uh, that Frank Marshall was able to yeah put put together after such a long time in classic Orson Welles style the 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 uh, the, the the film the negative was ended up in a vault in Paris. Um, and the chain of title, the ownership on it, was was completely up for grabs because uh, in classic Orson Welles style, he had the, uh, I believe, the cousin of the Shah of Iran f finance it. And there was a, a minor revolution in that country. And, Hilarious. <laughs> and, 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 and things became complicated. But because of that and, and their sort of maverick spirit, my father and Orson, uh, uh, they were able to make this, this incredibly uh, spellbinding, aggressive, avant-garde, experimental yes. Yes, uh, it's film bold. that, uh, that, that you, you don't see... You don't see today. You know? No, it's now, a shame it took so long to see the light of day. Can you do any Orson Welles for us? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Orson Welles, but I'll I'll, I'll save I'll save a, a, okay. a, a, a couple of John Huston. Well, for you did, you didn't want to play Welles as a, as an impression. You wanted to, you wanted to uh, take a different approach. Uh, yes, I mean. 
as I said, there was, you know, there was this, I, I definitely felt overwhelmed by the idea of playing somebody as, as, as large and majestic as, as, as Orson Welles. But then I, I had my own little private chat uh, uh, with the guys up there, with my father and Welles, and I, and I could see that they found it very funny. <laughs> so I, had you met, I decided to play it in a, in, in a light, uh, not yeah. too heavy way. You, and it's a fictionalized account, of course. It's about him going to Rome to shoot a movie and getting involved in this 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 uh, crazy Italian politics. That's right. While while he's trying to finance Othello. Yeah, it's an amb- <laughs> ambitious storytelling. Had, had you met the man in, in your lifetime? I met Orson Welles and, and with my father when they were talking about the other side of the wind in wow. a restaurant in Beverly Hills. Or Hollywood, uh, and um, and Orson was ate, eating eating a great deal, and his, his his chin was covered in grease, and I could see my father feeling a little queasy. <laughs> it was a hot day. <laughs> That's gold. <laughs> but but my father just you know adored him, and and uh, and and adored his sort of Machiavellian ways. Uh, I guess my father was maybe a a, a better poker player mm-hmm. at playing the studios, you know, giving one to them and a couple for himself. And he just he he, he knew how to play the game, uh, maybe in a in a more cunning cunning way. Uh, but Orson was just uh, you know so uh, honest in his rebellious spirit uh, that's that uh, sometimes um, he didn't get the money that he so deserved. How old were you when you met him? You must have been. I was in my uh, late teens. Late I guess. teens. Yeah, it's... mid 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 to late teens. And they 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 then you know went back to the to, to a screening room and watched the other side of the wind and talked about how it would be cut. Now, but... did you realize back then a lot of people who are in the business young, they're around legends and they go, oh, so and so, oh, there's Orson, there's whoever, and they don't get the full impact. Well, we've had a lot of people on this show who were who were the children of fa- very famous parents, like Griffin Dunn and his father Dominic Dunn. So he grew up with Elizabeth Taylor and all and and, and all of these people at the table, as did you, a- yes. a- Ava Gardner, sitting across from you. Oh, Ava Gardner! I remember the first time <laughs> meeting her. Um, it was in a in a restaurant uh, in in London, and she she walked in. She was wearing Doctor Scholl's, maybe hardly any makeup, um, and um, she was just. Beautiful, and she sat down. We had lunch with my mother and Ava and, and I, and um, and after lunch, when Ava left, I said to my mother, "Mom, I I think I'm in love." <laughs> and she 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 slapped me in the back of my head. She goes, "Of course you are. It's Ava Gardner, for Christ's sake." <laughs> <laughs> well, were you, were you jaded? I mean, were, being around all these people, did it take you years to realize the the, well, the scope no, of this? The no, I don't think I don't think jaded. As I slowly sort of started putting it together, um, I understood. Uh, I, un- I started to understand the the, the world, but um, you know. I got confused very early on in life in regards to fiction and reality. I I, um, I remember seeing one of the first cuts of of a, of a of a film that my father made uh, based on a rather well known book called the Bible, and uh, and the, the uh, we're in a sort of editing bay kind of screening room situation, and the film starts, and um, everybody thinks that their father is is a god, I guess, for, for a certain amount of time anyway. Uh, but the film starts, and, and I hear, in the beginning, and it's my father. And he's, 
man, he's God, for real. <laughs> and, and, and then, and then it, the film continues, and then suddenly he appears as Noah. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. My father is God, and he's Noah. That's, that's great. And, and, and he's walking into the ark, animals side by side, and I'm thinking, this is just fantastic. You know? um, so it's... it's um, it, it, uh, the, the the first uh, uh, I never met my grandfather Walter, but the first uh, uh, times that I saw him was was in my father's films, um, and I thought he was that character. I thought he was uh, the gold prospector from Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Well, that's he, who my grandfather was. He's that convincing, yeah. That you be, that you believe he's he's actually a and he learned he, Spanish. Yes, yes. <laughs> For that role. And, and, and that's right, that's right. And and he took his teeth out. Yes, <laughs> he famously took his teeth out. He, yeah. And he's, it's so amazing. His range is like, you see the early Walter Houston films where he's like a leading man. And then later on, he's like this crazy old prospector. Well, he really I rolled know. into the, leaned in, as they say, to the character actor thing. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He was he was something else. And then you know other films that you, you mentioned earlier, films like Rain and Dodsworth. Oh, oh uh, and the just, Devil just and Daniel Webster. Oh, the Devil and Daniel Webster. The, and, and then there were none. I love him in with Barry Fitzgerald. So many. And yeah. I I always remember him doing that dancing that little jig. Oh, and Treasure of Sierra Madre. Going, you're dumber than the dumbest jackass. <laughs> it's gold. <laughs> yeah, get rid of me, and you'll die here worse than rats. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I, I think it's great too that you. What did you say? You were you were sixteen or seventeen when you met Orson Welles. None of you could know it just the funny turns that life takes. That you would end up playing the man on screen. No, what a kick no, he might have gotten it, out of that. Yeah, but but what I did, which which actually was was all the more one one of the, my most poignant uh, film experiences. Really, was they were missing some dialogue for the other side of the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, or some of it was just really bad, badly recorded. There were problems with the soundtrack. Um, so I went to an, into an ADR dubbing stage, and I was the voice for my father. And I would say things like, you know, action and cut. And, uh, um, and, and, I, and, and when it was played back, my father spoke to me. How uh, strange. From, from the screen, a, a voice that... His voice that I gave, I returned back to him. That is surreal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It really was. Yeah. Wow. You you were also in Hitchcock, another man your dad knew. Another man that my dad knew, um, and played by the wonderful Anthony Hopkins. And he's great in it. Mm. Yeah. And you and, and again you played a real person. Again, I played a real. You person, played Whitfield yes. Cook. Watching that picture, and again, I know you do deep research into these characters, especially the bad guys, and Whitfield not being a, necessarily a heavy in that movie, but but doesn't come off very it's in a in a very flattering way. How much of that was factual? How much of do you know? Were, believe, were he and Alma actually did that, that consummate that affair? It's speculated. I I, yes, I believe that there was a certain warmth that they had uh, towards each other. Uh, uh, primarily because 
because you know she spent a lot of time alone, and Hitchcock was doing his thing, and this was an opportunity for her to maybe have a, just a, you know a, a cocktails with somebody from 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 time to time without without the pressure of it being of it being Hitchcock. And and my character, I think, somewhat feels the same, but he's also manipulating it for himself. Yeah, it's a good film. I mean, it takes it takes a, a little create. There's a little creative license, but it's fun. Hitch, it's not meant yes. to be a documentary. Hitchcock, no, exactly. Hitchcock comes always comes across when they talk about him as like a very frustrated individual and strange feelings about women. We had Tippi Hedren here on the show, uh-huh. and she has her own experiences. Yes. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say to that. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be my father's uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> now, now uh, of course, I always have to ask you the famous people that you've worked with, of course. Uh, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, no, but I never. You didn't. With, no, you didn't work with him. But no, you would, was, were you there? No, to, sadly not. Sadly not. Bogart. Uh, um, uh, yes to 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 Mitchum. Uh, um, yeah, you directed Mitchum. In fact, I directed Mitchum. Yeah, I directed Mitchum. My my my. I made a made a film called Mister North early early in my career, uh, based on a Thornton Wilder novel, and uh, uh, my father called me and he said, uh, "Danny, if I were to fall ill, is it okay if I were?" To call somebody to stand by, and I said, "Well, yes, of course, of, of course, if it makes you, you'll be fine. But of course, if it makes you feel better, um, and it's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Robert Mitchum, um, and um, and sadly, um, he did become ill, and uh, Mitchum stepped in heroically, and they they my father was was in hospital in, in Newport, Rhode Island." And Mitchum said, "Look, uh, I'm I'm deli- sorry about the the circumstances, but I'm I'm delighted to be here to help." And uh, when Mitchum left the room, my my father lowered his oxygen mask, and looked at me, winked, and said, "Biggest hoax I ever pulled." <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what? Which, which speaks volumes of of the man, doesn't it? I mean, the 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 the, the show of bravado and 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 absolutely his, and and his generosity towards me and. And, and trying to make light of, 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 of otherwise a rather sad moment uh, um, and, and his admiration for Robert Mitchum. Yes. Well, who was one of those people that you got used to seeing around when you were a, when you were a kid? Yeah. And, and, and on set, it'd be, morning, Bob, how are you? He'd say, worse. <laughs> would, you like, would you like some coffee? Makes me fart. <laughs> hilarious. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast right after this. That's what you say. <laughs> it's Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal podcast. Is there a story too about you and and your dad trying to when you decided to try to recruit Lauren Bacall for the film? Yes. Yeah, so, so, yeah, Lauren McCullough was uh, outside the Sunset, Mar- uh, the Westwood Marquee in, in, in Los Angeles, in a big flight of steps. And, and I, I was carrying his oxygen tank, and we're, we're walking up these steps. Lauren's at the very top, and my father has a script in hand, 
And as he hands it over to her, uh, he, again, he, he gives me a little wink. We, we were hustlers, you know? We were, we were hustling. And, and he gives me a little wink. And as we walk away, it's impossible for her to turn this down. <laughs> we made such a show of it. He was right. Such a show. Yeah. A, a sweet but little I, film, by the way, with a great cast. Thank you. Thank you. I then worked again with Lauren Bacall on, on a film called Birth. Yes, with Nicole Kidman. Uh, yeah, and I remember, I remember the AD, uh, the assistant director, coming uh, uh, arriving at, at uh, suddenly with a with a big red cheek. And I said, "What happened?" He said, and he looked quite upset. He said, "Lauren Bacall slapped me," and and I said, well, "Why?" He said, "Well, I, I I took her dog for Papillon for a walk, and and I I, I was gone too long, and, and and she slapped me." And he looked rather. Tearful, and I said, "I said, oh come on!" I said, "You, you should be delighted. You were slapped by Lauren Bacall." Yeah, it, it, that is an honor. <laughs> he really should have dined how, out on that. How yeah. did How did you feel about Clint Eastwood's performance as your father? I thought he was very good. I, I thought the film was 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 excellent. Um, if there's a, a, a criticism, uh, maybe his voice was just a little too thin. Because my father's voice was so so specific. Uh, but that's uh, a, a note coming from uh, from from my father's son. You know, yeah, it's me. a it's a good movie. Not a lot of people talk about it. Uh, yeah, White it's, Hunter, it's very, Black Heart. It's very 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 well made. I thought uh, um, novel originally written by Peter Vertel. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I, I remember my father saying that Peter Vertel asked him if it, it, he, he gave him the book to read first before he published it. And he asked my father if it would be okay to publish it. And my father said, yes, of course. Um, and, but he later said to me he would have published it anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. yeah. uh, uh, but he liked he liked the 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 mytholo- the mythology that Peter Vertel created for him, and everybody that worked for my father was was up and up in arms, uh, uh, saying that it wasn't a, cor- a correct depiction. But uh, my father liked it. Interesting. Well, the film is certainly made with affection for for your dad and for for the subject matter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it is. It comes I believe it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you you were born during the making of a film that they used to show on TV a lot when I was growing up, and that was uh, Freud with Montgomery Cliff. Yes, I, I, I well, I like I like to say if we were to use my father's film as a sort of measuring stick, that I was conceived during Freud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Seems appropriate. And, uh, born during the Bible and and teethed on on Night of the Iguana. Now I may have the chronology completely wrong, but that's that's the way I remember. That sounds close. <laughs> when you made Mr. North, and by the way, you're pretty young. And I'm I, we were talking off mic about your about your first picture about Mr. Corbett's ghost, which I guess you made for the BBC. I made it for the yes, I made it for English television, and um, I cast my uh, my father as a collector of souls. He's great in it. Yeah, typecast as yeah. a collector. Of, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I had and I had Paul Schofield. Yes, that's all all to, to, to my father's uh, uh, all my father's doing. And Burgess and, Meredith. And Burgess Meredith, I think, was more my doing because Burgess <laughs> Meredith and I became really really good pals. Um, and I used to stay in his place in, in, in Malibu. And we, my father and Burgess Meredith and I went to the Sea of Cortez um, looking for a theme. 
uh, to make a, a film about the sea, uh, literally searching for a theme. And there we were in the middle of the Sea of Cortez reading Steinbeck's The Log from the Sea of Cortez and, and, and drinking and talking. And, and uh, they talked about their, their lives and their marriages. And it was, a, it was a very, very special time. And we stayed in these small little cabins. I remember Burgess Meredith saying that I was his womb mate. <laughs> we, we've heard yeah. a lot of nice things about him from people we've had on the show who yeah. knew him and interacted with him he was great and we were talking about mice and men and, 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 and the penguin of course of course yes. <laughs> of course I mean he, he directed he did a lot of things made a good film called The Man on the Eiffel Tower yeah, yeah, and 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 his book is wonderful as well, Burgess's book. Is, well, you, you were all yeah. of twenty five when you made Mister Corbett's Ghost, and aside from the fact that you're working with these giants, your dad included, but also the great Paul Schofield. I mean, it's very competently made. It's 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 spooky, and it's and it's. I mean, and you're a kid. Thank you, thank you. Fresh out of film school, yeah. And, uh, uh, before that, I, I, I shot a, a title sequence, credit sequence for my father for Under the Volcano. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with some paper mache dolls, I used to make uh, drinks for him. Depending what part of the world we were in, and, and in Mexico at this particular moment in time, he was drinking um, Cuba Libres, and um, and I I made him his his drink at the end of the day when we'd watch dailies rushes and and uh, he complained. He looked at it and he said, "No, no, no." He said, "The the Coke should only color the rum." <laughs> It's an, a great impression. So I, I imagine making drinks for him was a full-time job. Of what I've heard. <laughs> one, one could keep busy at it. That's, that's, that, that's, that's for sure. But it gave me the opportunity to not only uh, to happily make drinks for him, but also to sit in and watch, watch dailies, watch, you know, watch, watch how he made how he made films. Um, and uh, he he turned around to me at this particular incident. Turned around and said, "Danny, you you've come out of film school. You 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 feel like you can direct something. Direct a title sequence." And he put the fear of God in me, and and, and I did. And he he handed over Gabriel Figueroa, who was one of the great cinematographers, mm-hmm. uh, Mexican cinematographers, and um, I shot the title sequence. And, and much to my delight, he liked it. Good movie under the and, volcano. And I yeah. I grew up. Uh, being in love with old monster movies, and I, I heard from my friend Alan Asherman that uh, your father was a screenwriter for both The Werewolf of London and The Invisible Man. Wow! Now <laughs> that I do not know. <laughs> well, Alan better be right. <laughs> and and I heard he had written a scene that back then was too blasphemous to put in Werewolf of London, where the character puts his finger in the holy water and it starts to boil. And uh, later on, that was a scene in uh, Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino. Wow. Fascinating. How about that? You didn't know, know that. No, absolutely We pray not. to God it's true, Danny. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's such a good well, story. Of course, he was an accomplished screenwriter before he became... He, I mean, it was the success, if, I, if I'm not misspeaking, the success of High Sierra that led him to get his shot on Maltese Falcon. You're absolutely right. And, and uh, the studio didn't want to give him the, the uh, shot on Maltese Falcon. Um, and I believe it was George Raft that they, that they had, that they'd cast... 
And he didn't want to work with a first-time director. Yep. And he certainly didn't want to work with Walter Houston's kid. Um, so uh, so he, he, he said no, he wouldn't do it. And, and Walter um, had enough pull uh, to be able to say, well, look, uh, g- give my kid a chance and I'll be in it. Uh, as well, yep. and that sort of sealed sealed the deal, and 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 you can you barely know it's 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 him, but he's the captain that, that comes in with yeah, of course with Falcon. Very small scene, but fun yeah. that he pops yeah. up there. Okay, we make yeah. him do this on almost every show, but now it's specific. Ah, you got you got to do a little a little Joel Cairo for him. Oh well, I uh, yes, Joel Cairo. Uh, P- yeah, Peter's yeah. character. Yeah. No, it's you who did it. You, it's your stupid attempt to buy it. Kevin to found out how valuable it was. No wonder we had such an easy time finding it. You idiot! You bloated fathead! <laughs> what do you think, Dan? I think that's spectacular. Oh, wow, well done. That is just great. Every, 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 every little color is right there. Huh? Yeah. We, we, we've been waiting to have you so he could so he could pull this out. He does. Uh, he does Casper Gut as well. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> you are the character, sir. I enjoy talking to a man who enjoys to talk. I just trust a close mouth man. Talking is not something we should do judiciously. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's just great. Do, do you do uh, do you do stinking badges? <laughs> do you do Alfonso Bedoya, Gilbert? Is that in your repertoire? Badges? We don't need no stinking badges. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't you guys host a, you and Angelica host a um, a private screening, a fundraiser for Maltese Falcon? Uh, we did last year. We did. Yeah. We did. It was for 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 Turner Classics. Yeah, absolutely. We yeah. did. Yeah. Now what? Uh, great to be seen on the big screen. What I find interesting. Oh, sorry. No, no. Please go ahead. What I find interesting about Maltese Falcon is that uh, if someone now were to say we're doing a remake of Maltese Falcon, that would be blasphemy. But that was like the third Maltese Falcon. The Bogart version. Yeah, one was played for laughs, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his my father's reasoning on that was, I remember him saying, I don't understand why people remake good movies. They should remake the bad ones. Um, and uh, and the, the, the previous versions of Maltese Falcon, I believe, were not all that good. Uh, and, and so he'd figured out a way f- to, 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 make it, to make it work uh, rather than uh, making a, a, a great film again and making it not as well because yeah, i remember there was one version with ricardo cortez i got the, the the previous version yes yeah. and and ricardo cortez i should mention my favorite topic although he was given a spanish romantic spanish name he was uh, a jew from the bronx <laughs> ricardo cortez <laughs> i love it <laughs> and 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 owen oh, dwight fry right and and it's like it's so similar to the Bogard version, but it just doesn't work. Interesting. You know, that movie could have made George Raft an even bigger star, and he must have kicked himself. 
for years. Uh, let's 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 hope so. Let's hope so. But much to my to my father's chagrin, much to his 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 uh, delight, um, um, I I believe he really wanted. Bogart in it. Uh, oh, so it worked out. It worked out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's able to slip Win- uh, Wilmer the Gunsel past the uh, the censors at the oh, time yes. too. Yes, yes. Yeah. And and there's a scene with Peter Lorre with his perfumed business card. Yes. And he's very suggestively uh, running a cane over his mouth, which is. <laughs> How that got past them is beyond me. Yeah, but great, great film. How the, how did the audience react to to, to to the screening? I mean, it's it's such a beloved film, but seeing it on a big screen, I've never had the chance to see it on a big screen. It, it was it was it was great. I believe it was at the Man Chinese, so it was a big screen, and uh, uh, it when you uh, I, I've seen a few prints that that Scorsese has uh, restored and and guards. Uh, uh, you know, carefully. Uh, he rarely, rarely screens them in case in case there causes any damage to the print. Uh, but it's it's like stepping back in in time because these prints are just so pristine. It's like looking at glass or something. They're untouched, and that that romantic uh, thing of of watching an old movie with all its scratches and its bumps and mm-hmm. it's like a, like an old vinyl record is is in a way part of the experience so it's quite shocking when it's just completely clear without any and with with no flaws at all and you really feel like you're stepping back in time and you appreciate how modern these films are yeah i read that he shot the whole thing in sequence that he 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 detailed everything he wrote down in sketchbooks he he knew every shot he it was, was entirely storyboarded. Yeah, yeah, he was determined was to come in under budget and and on yeah. time. And it was entirely yeah, it was entirely storyboarded. And he was he was quite uh, known my father for uh, cutting in the camera. Um, so he never really shot an establishing shot or a wide a wide shot. He he would the camera would progress uh, through the scene, and he'd never return back to the same shot. And I remember there's a scene with Bogart, Laurie, and Mary Esther old screaming at each other with the two cops uh um ward uh, ward bond ward bond and who's the other cop i can't ward remember bond. offhand God. i'll think of it they're all arguing back and forth and peter laurie puts his coat on and he starts to walk away and they say where do you think you're going and he says i'm not going anywhere it's getting quite late <laughs> Did you ever hear such a good Joel Cairo in your life, Danny? I don't believe I have. No. <laughs> He's a savant. And and there's the other line that makes me crack up is Peter Laurie says, You always have such a clear answer for everything. And Bogart says, What do you want me to do? Learn to stutter? <laughs> Great. And Sydney Greenstreet's film debut. Yeah, he was. was it? Yes, I think yeah. he was like six. He was sixty-one. Wow. Yeah. 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 I wanted to uh, again about uh, about uh, Mr. Corbett's ghost. Your dad's wonderful in it. I, I can't believe you made something so good at the age of twenty-five. But it's on YouTube, so our listeners can go find it. It's very spooky, and it really delivers the chills. And it's it's uh, it's a cautionary tale. It's great. 
It is. It is. It's 1767, if I remember yes, right. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, um, I'm gonna sit Gilbert it's, down it's, to watch it. Yeah. It's and it's 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 a Christmas uh, story. Yes. And uh, Schofield plays a sort of Scrooge-like character. It's Dickensian. And a, and yeah. a future pop star turns up in the cast. You know who I'm referring to? Alexis Alexis Sale, uh, Jules Holland. Jules Holland. Yeah. <laughs> Alexis Sale, Jules Holland. Yeah, I was pretty hip with my casting. There. Watching this thing and going, why do I know this guy's voice? I'm a big yeah. Squeeze fan. Yeah. Why the hell do I know this guy's voice? And I freaked out when I realized it was Jules Holland, who I never yeah. thought of as an actor. Yeah, playing the defrocked, defrocked priest. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah, and people should find Mr. North too. And it's on, I believe it's on uh, on Amazon Prime. Uh, great cast: Hammy Grimes, Harry Dean Stanton. I never saw Harry Dean Stanton doing a. Uh, uh, is it a Cockney o- accent? A Cockney yeah. accent. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of our favorite actors, David Warner. Oh, yeah. great! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ter- a terrific job. It's just like a traveling angel story, yeah, and, I guess, is and, what and, they call that. And, and, and Anthony Edwards in the lead role. Yeah. And, and Mitch, Mitchum and Lauren Bacall, as you mentioned earlier, Very. Master Masterson, Virginia Matson. It was great cast. Did you bring cast. that project to your dad? Did you find? I that? did. I did. I brought it to him, and he, and he, and he and Janet Roach. Uh, who were collaborated on Pritzi's Honor, uh, took a pass at it and uh, handed me back the script, which it's I a, did not touch. It's a and, sweet little film. And your father was was fine. In fact, uh, I guess enthusiastic about you going into show business. Yes. I mean, he never, he never really encouraged me, but when he saw that my appetite, uh, um, he was, uh, he, he was, he was great I and mean, he was extraordinarily helpful to me. Um, and would always, always show me how, 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 how he was making the film. I remember him on, on Pritzi's Honor. I remember him saying, Hey, Dad, Eddie, come over here. Let me show you something. Well, what, what is it? He goes, You see that man over there? I go, Yeah. He goes, it's a steady cam. <laughs> wow what does that mean and he goes well it's, the camera's attached to the man and I don't have to lay any tracks and it just all happens magically and it just uh, it, it, it doesn't cost me too much time isn't it wonderful and I was like wow yeah that's great and so, so, so he loved all the new. He loved the new equipment. And, you know, I'd love, I'd love to see what he'd be, what what he'd be up to now. As far as you, you mentioned censorship earlier, uh, um, you know these and 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 Wells. I mean, they were just so, so avant garde, so active sure. uh, m- mentally, and and uh, and uh, you know, it's 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 still 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 a big loss. Making films at the time that they were being restricted by the Hayes office in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and it made them use their imaginations more back then of sneaking stuff in. It was always fascinating to watch movies then. Well, like you say, the the, the caressing of the of the cane. I mean, that that, yes. that sort of stuff is just is is wonderful, and it's so much fun to sneak it in, and <laughs> and it gives the film layers. I like uh, your dad's uh, you know offbeat films. I like Wise Blood. I like Fat City. I mean, people don't talk about them as much as they talk about even the list of Adrian Messenger. They don't. I don't know what he thought of that one. It's pro- it's, it's problematic, but so much fun. No, absolutely. And and you know, in between Wise Blood and Under the Volcano, he slips in Annie, and then yeah. uh, and then he makes Fat City and does Escape to Victory, and it's, one for the company he, store. Yeah, <laughs> he just he, he just he he danced around, and and Annie's a great film. It's not 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 to, not to put it down in any way, but it's not, but it's it, it's not what you'd quantify as being a, a John Houston film. Now, with list, on the subject of List of Adrian Messenger, I think his name's Jan Merlin. Who was an actor who was in it, who died recently, and this 
hope it's true too from Alan Asherman told me that all of the characters in heavy makeup in that movie that at the end reveal themselves as Frank Sinatra and Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster were actually this one actor. Uh-huh. And they showed up for that one day of pulling the makeup off, but they weren't and actually in the movie. That's fascinating. It, it, it makes complete sense. I don't. I don't. I. I don't have any any, any proof for, proof of that, but it makes complete sense. It would be a lot cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> to get to, absolutely. To only have to absolutely. have Burt Lancaster they, they, for a day. And, and, and there was, you know, these guys were so much about trickery and stuff like that. So it makes complete sense. And they yeah. said even the scenes with Kirk Douglas in makeup were a lot of it. This Jan Merlin. Right, right, right. It I would f- make sense. I find it interesting too. Now, is it fair to say that you, not that you backed into acting, but that wasn't the original goal? You no, were, not at all. It, uh, um, yeah, it was a happy accident was, in a way. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, uh, you know, very committed to to, to directing and, and only directing, and and uh, I remember uh, again as a teenager being being in the Atlas Mountains in Morocco. Uh, while my father was making a film called Man Who Would Be King. Another great one. Um, and there was, you know, there was my father and Michael Caine and Sean Connery, Christopher Plummer, Kipling book, of course, um, and uh, Atlas Mountain, Morocco, the Blue People. And I was just having the time of my life. And and I remember going into the uh, makeup trailer and and Michael Caine, because his, his, his eyelashes are very fair, was was putting mascara on, and and uh, and and Sean Connery was was just a little balding in the back, so he had a little patch, a little patch of hair that they were that they were gluing on the back back of his head, and I thought, oh, I never, I don't ever want to be an actor. No, no, this is not something I, I, I want to do. I want to I, I want to do what my father does. I want to be be there at the, in the director's chair and 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 and, and, and conducting this sort of majestic uh, uh, film. And um, and so I, I I not resisted acting, but it was just something that I never had in my sights uh, at all. And and when my father, when I lost my father, and I was in L.A. in a sort of rather seasonless state. The years were going by, and I thought I was I was I was staying active, phone calls and meetings and all that kind of stuff. But but nothing was getting made. So so fellow directors, friends, out of the kindness of their hearts, uh, started offering me small roles and my first role was was a waiter number two in, in leaving las vegas directed by mike figgis mm, good filmmaker and, and this gave me an opportunity to see how how other people other than my father how how, how they worked uh, maybe maybe uh maybe sort of slightly more experimental films uh, uh but but stuff stuff that was of the moment and that, that excited me it was an opportunity for me to steal from them really mm-hmm. i i Remember seeing an interview where your I think your father said he originally wanted to do uh, that that movie with um, they they would be kings with Humphrey Bogart and Clark Gable. You are absolutely right. Yes. That's how long it took to get off the ground. Can you imagine? How about Jeez. that? 30, I, yeah. 30 some odd years. It yeah. makes you wonder what that movie would have been with those yes. two. Yes, I would have loved to have seen it with those two. Uh, 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 having said that, Kane and Connery were just perfect uh, 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 casting, and, and of course they were probably more authentic casting, a piece of casting. Uh, 
but uh, films at different periods of time are, are more forgiving in that in that regard. And sure. I would have loved to see the other guys do. I it, think do the thirty-year wait, wait served him in a in a way in terms of yeah. the casting because he because yeah. he didn't have to cast Hollywood yeah. movie stars. Right, right. Yeah, but even though I'm sure that he that that he and Bogart would have had some. Um, some uh, great take, take take on it. I remember him saying about Bogart. This is a little bit off 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 off, off your. Uh, I'm not answering your question in this particular uh, moment, but uh, thinking about Bogart, um, they they used to talk about how how awards and the, the Emmys the other night. Uh, we're talking about how awards. There's a sort of. I remember him saying there's a there's a certain vulgarity to it, um, a sort of cheapness and celebrating yourself and it's feels like a sort of political campaign of sorts. It doesn't seem to have much to do with art. And they were both agreeing uh, with each other. And, um, but then when he said when, when Bogart won his first Academy Award, he seemed inordinately proud. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and and Frank brought up, and this is something we we both are fascinated by, uh, and that was that horrible period uh, when of the blacklist. Yes. Now, now I guess I guess my father's one of the first uh, famous people in the film business uh, uh, to renounce his American citizenship. Yep. Um, so he he. Uh, Basically, tore up his American passport, went to Ireland, uh, uh, bought a beautiful home in Ireland, and became Irish. Moral rot. Yeah, that was and, his quote. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and and I mean, there was there, there was one was his disdain, what was happening in America, um, and the other uh, was uh, that artists don't pay tax in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> So, so, so slight ulterior motive. Yeah, wasn't all righteous. <laughs> well, he formed the committee for the First Amendment, which I urge our listeners to to research and read yes. about. It's it's fascinating. Yes, yes it's fascinating absolutely. what he went through, and 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 yeah. you know, certain friends turned. And absolutely. It, and it, I mean, it broke his heart what was happening in this country, and he was a patriot. But but yeah. but what he what he had to deal with. I mean, he, he paid the price in yeah. in, in a way. He did, he did, and and uh, and in classic uh, John Huston style, um, he was able to 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 walk away from it, uh, uh, feeling uh, good within himself, uh, um, and create another life, um, which was a really magical life in Ireland. You know, uh, he had this great home. It took people forever to get to it. Uh, uh, so when they when they arrived, they would they would they would stay at least a, a, a couple of days, um, and he created his own his own magical world for himself. Um, and he he was master of the Galway Blazers, and mm-hmm. he completely embraced uh, 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 that life. And um, and it was it was it was it was wonderful. Growing up there was just was just great. And then he. Because he had emphysema and the winters in Ireland were a bit tough, and uh, I think he was in wife number five or six, so he was kind of feeling a bit of a dent in his wallet. Uh, he uh, he moved to Mexico and just outside of Puerto Vallarta, where he'd originally made um, a, a, f- a few films, a Night of the Iguana. Night of the Iguana, yeah. Um, and uh, it was a place to, that you could only get to by boat, 
uh, and um, and it was wonderful. He sort of found his solace there, and uh, and was able to uh, spend time, quiet time, um, but without any possessions. He literally he'd have he had a side table and and whatever book he was reading, and uh, mosquito nets as walls. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a scene out of a movie. It truly what is a larger truly. than life character. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mentioned this a few times. One of the jobs I had pre uh, having a career in show business was working the concessions in the movie in 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 the Broadway theaters. Uh huh. And one play was a Matter of Gravity with Catherine Hepburn, and she would talk to us, and I remember her saying. Uh, oh, during African Queen, we had a horrible time in that movie. Do you, do you remember your father saying anything about that? Um, yes, I, I remember what, what, one of the tales was, was uh, that basically um, everybody was getting sick. They were in the middle of the Belgian Congo. and Everybody was getting dysentery. People, and and they, they were concerned that they'd have to stop working and start again. And uh, the only people that weren't sick were my father and Humphrey Bogart. So they studied studied them for, for, for a couple of days to see what they were doing differently. Now, of course, the answer was they were drinking no water. <laughs> Not even ice cubes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, but I think I think um, I think Catherine Hepburn complained they were they were they were, they were being a bit immature. I think from time to time, and she yeah. she, she, she she'd complain. Uh, but one of my favorite stories of of economical an economical piece of directing was Catherine Hepburn was was didn't quite. She didn't feel completely comfortable with her character, um, so um, so she plucked the courage and she spoke to my father. She said, "John, I just don't get. It. I don't. I just don't get her. I don't understand the character I'm playing." So he paused, and then he said, "Eleanor Roosevelt," and she went, "Oh, okay, I got it. Thank you, John." Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah. that's one of my that favorites. That makes too. total sense. Yeah, and that's sometimes that's all you need as an actress—that one little key, just to, just to click, click, click the uh, the box open uh, for you to understand. I find it. Uh, I have a couple of questions too. You mentioned Scorsese before, and as a uh, on, you you made the Aviator with him. He must have been trying to pick your brain about. Uh, well, I told he's I such to, a film I, buff. Yeah, I told him the uh, the Bible story with my father, the voiceover of God, and yeah. Noah, and then and then my mother's in it. She plays Hagar, and there's a kid, and and the kid is not me, and she's in the <laughs> desert, she, and and Marty was going, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> 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 but you get I, I want to you get so deep into these characters. I was watching an interview with you and particularly playing bad guys and you mentioned before you like to play I think douchebags was your word. Yeah. yeah. No, I believe it was your word that I then oh, take. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. He said scumbags, you said douchebags. Douchebags. Okay. I'm like a court stenographer. <laughs> <laughs> but but playing villains, playing bad guys, yeah. uh, uh, like uh, the, the uh, General uh, Ludendorff in in Wonder Woman, who was a real Nazi, mm-hmm. and you yeah, you do psychological profiles of these people before you 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 get inside them. 
Well, which I find you, so interesting. You, yeah, you you, you kind of have to, and and and, and the, the more despicable they are, the more the, the further you have to investigate because uh, uh, otherwise it's 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 impossible to to perform them. However arch or whatever the uh, uh, you know the, the the final final result is. Um, and and you know with 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 Wonder Woman you're you're fulfilling a certain universe so so you have, you have to keep, uh, keep be aware of that um, but uh, yeah General Ludendorff was a real guy um, and um, there was a lot that I could draw from um, he was uh, you know humiliated by the by the First World War he, he he knew Hitler but didn't particularly like him he 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 uh, lost a son in, in, in the trenches. Um, was very disturbed, very pragmatic, very stuffy, kind of, I mean, an awful, awful guy. But as you, as you investigate, you sort of start, start to understand him a little bit. And it's this awful thing of, you know, this, after, after a certain amount of humiliation, then there's, you know, the nationalism and, sure. and, and, and them and us uh, starts, starts, to, starts to occur. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something which is relevant, as relevant today, in a sense. And, uh, and, 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 and then, and then I saw photographs of him and he, his, his, his lips were always turned down like some sort of abused a child, in a sense, um, and his posture and his stance, and and it just all starts to gel together, and 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 you're like, okay, I, fi- I think I think I got him now, and <laughs> and, and Patty Jenkins is just so she's so excitable and 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 wonderful as far as as far as bringing something new or maybe going a little bit off book book with stuff, and and so it's it it and then it, and then it becomes um it becomes something which is. Which which is enjoyable, and you can maybe play uh, uh, in in a, in a more arch arch way. But it's 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 I think very important to know the, the the truth of the man. You try to find a little heart and a little empathy, even though they're monsters, to, to uh, just just to humanize them. Yeah, I don't know about the heart really, but more more the machination, more the reasoning about how 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 they got there. I I, I worked on a film called The Constant Gardener, and the character says about these patients that are dying in Africa, um, that uh, that they're experimenting drugs on on them, and 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 he says they would have died anyway, you know. Um, and I found that line so chilling and horrific um, that that. Uh, again, I was trying. To, how 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 is he reasoning this? You know, well, more jobs in Wales and this mm-hmm. and the other, and 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 there is there is, uh, uh, however horrific it is, uh, a logic. Terrific movie, by the way. Well, Constant like, Gardener. You you're, don't want to great be, in it. Yeah, you don't want to be like a cartoon villain. No, especially when. Especially when you're getting close to that with something like Wonder Woman, you know, you're 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 you're, uh, you're touching that, and you want to honor that. Right. Uh, but it's it's got to come from it's got to come from somewhere else, I believe. Or Striker and Wolverine. Striker and Wolverine. Some, similar challenges. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there he's more of a sort of again he's he lost he lost his son, um, and uh, that's where a lot of the sort of desire to create these mutants comes comes from um so yeah there's there's interesting logic uh to uh striker and of course your father played one of the sleaziest most disgusting people of all time in chinatown oh, one of the great screen heavies i think one of the great screen villain yeah. uh, uh performances that uh, uh ever uh, in my in my he played opinion. it with glee i might add 
played it with glee. And 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 when he when he eats that fish and oh, pokes, yeah. pokes his fork into the fish's eye, uh, um, you really you really feel the um, the um, richness of, of 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 his character. And now I I I didn't prepare a script for this, so I wonder if you remember your father's lines. And I'll do Nicholson for it. <laughs> uh, what does he yeah. say, Mr. Oh. Mr. Gibbons? Mr. Yes, Gibbons. yes. Ah, uh, he goes. Uh, How much are you worth? Ten million dollars. And then your father goes, "Why, yes." And he goes, "Well, then, why do you do it? How much better can you eat?" What can you afford that you can't already buy? Do you remember your father's <laughs> line? What does he say? What I'll tell say? you the line and you'll <laughs> repeat it after me. <laughs> Please. The future, Mr. Gitz. The future, Mr. Gitz. Excellent. Oh, that's spooky. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> that, was, that was spooky, Danny. <laughs> Fantastic. Gilbert, you'll appreciate this particularly. Uh, uh, Danny plays a character, a, a very evil character in a show called Magic City, Ben Diamond. Do I have yeah. this right? You based, in part, the character on uh, on Edward G. Robinson's character in Key Largo? Uh, yes, yes, very much. Wow. Um, um, and Edward, Edward G. Robinson... Uh, we're talking about McCarthyism. Uh, um, actually, I think that there were problems. There were problems there between my father and Edward. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, um, uh, but yes, very much. Uh, that the scene when he's introduced and he's in the bathtub and there's the fan and he's smoking and, and yep. smoking cigar. Uh, uh, for me, was very much how I wanted to enter into that series, Magic City, kind of like that. Um, and um, he just had this. Had this swagger about him, but also a, a, a fear and insecurity, uh, um, which which I thought was was great and something that I could always draw from. Um, yeah. Again, not playing the villain in too in too obvious a, a, a way, and and this sort of Meyer Lansky esque kind of kind of world uh, that Ben Diamond was 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 in. I felt I felt in a way that um, you know I would just. I would give up all that thing about analyzing villains and trying to see where they feel and prodding them with a scalpel and trying to understand them. I thought, I'll just give all that up. How about I just play him as a really uh, 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 clear uh, a man in, in regards to what is the right thing and the wrong thing? And, and there's a sort of honor amongst thieves that Ben Diamond has, however grotesque or appalling his actions are. And he is appalling. Uh, uh, yeah. However, he believes that he is doing the right thing, that it's that it quantifies uh, uh, to, um, to uh, uh, something in regards to respect, but also honoring your habitat. I always thought Claire Trevor was the thing making him insecure in that movie. Yes, yes. She's the thing eating at him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And he's scared of the storm. And he's afraid. That's right. He's afraid of the storm. Yeah. That's another hell of a movie. Yeah. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Uh, You know, you made a Frankenstein picture. We were talking before about the Wolfman and Gilbert. You're gonna wa- you're gonna watch this movie. You're, you and your friend Bernard Rose, uh, who you've worked with many many times. I watched this picture, a very very bold, audacious kind of approach to Frankenstein, telling it from the monster's point of view. 
And yeah, just when you, you thought you'd seen Frankenstein covered every way it could possibly be done, you guys found a new way in. And thank you. Boy, is that a disturbing movie to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. And, and and don't forget that Bernard Rose comes from Can. You know, he directed films like Candyman Candy Man and yeah. stuff like that. I like so, his Beethoven movie very much. Yeah, I loved. I Immortal loved Beloved. Immortal Beloved. I absolutely loved it. And and we worked. Uh, we've done about four or five Tolstoy adaptations. The first one was was one called uh, Ivan's Ecstasy, based yes. on the death death of Ivan Illich, and that really was my calling card in a sense, as far as acting. Uh, but I, I loved working with Bernard. He's like a sort of punk rocker. His unapologetic approach. He just starts, makes it, doesn't ask anybody for anything, and then it all sort of comes together because he believes it. I'd somebody asked you in an interview if you were a fan of the genre, and you, yeah, I think you, you, you cited Ken Russell's The Devils as a film yes. that scared you, and that's a terrifying fucking movie. But, yes. <laughs> but also The Exorcist. Yes. And it's... Uh, yeah, go on. Well, with Ken... I remember my mother with the devils. I remember her covering my eyes in the movie theater and me sort of peeking through, peeking through her fi- <laughs> oh. fingers. And it made it all the more terrifying. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Gilbert, you'll appreciate it because, and this is fascinating, Danny. The movie's made in 2015, and yet it's respectful to the Shelley source material. You have the blind man, you have the little girl who he throws in the water. It's a, it's a real a pu- a punk. <laughs> what did you say about <laughs> about Rose? It's a, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a punk rock take on Frankenstein, and yet yeah. it's faithful to the story. I, I, I believe it is. Yes, I mean the, the 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 interesting thing that Bernard does is he he's his adaptations are very faithful, um, but in a way because of necessity, uh, um, they're made in in his backyard. Um, and so anything that's changed is changed really because of wardrobe or location or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, um, so it's it's not it's not um, that much of a, of, of a conceit. We're trying to do everything right, but within within the limitations that we have. Gilbert, you're going to love it. Yeah, yeah and I, I I dare say I'm I know he's seen the James Well pictures because you could just you could just see that there's little moments of homage. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. An- another interesting character. You. You. I mean, the, to think that you've played Samuel Adams, Victor uh, uh, Baron Frankenstein, <laughs> Orson Welles, <laughs> and my favorite Robert Evans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope. I hope. I hope the old man would be proud. I hope so. What range did you approach Robert Evans about playing him when you did? You did this in London. I very much did. Uh, it was. Um, I, I went to his house and and uh, he looked me over up and down and said, "I think, yeah, I think you could play me." Uh, um, and we 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 spent a little time um, talking about um, um, his uh, his his experiences, and he showed me lots of photographs, and I started to examine or enter into the man's memory, really. Um, and Simon McBurney, who directed the play, um, used a glass box, uh, which the glass would turn opaque or you could project different images on it. And it starts with a man uh, telling his life story. Um, and he's talking about the time when he was a kid. Um, and a young actress plays uh, Evans as, 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 as a kid. And I'm kind of looking down from the box wow. at, at my life in a sense. And as the story progresses, the box 
slowly creeps closer and closer to the front of the stage. And then finally, my character, who's basically a shadow, uh, becomes becomes clear, and we're and and we're in the present day, um, and then uh, he's sitting and he's watching watching television, and he realizes that all these characters are no longer there, and um, and um, you know he looks at uh, Ava and Tyrone Power and Dick Zanuck, and that they're all gone, and and uh, but he's he's the last one there, um, he's he's still in the picture. How interesting. I w- I've seen the documentary, of course, and I wondered how are they going to do this as a stage show. And you- yeah, it it, wor- it worked mainly because of Simon McBurney's insanity. Uh, uh, the way that he uh, staged it was uh, very reckless, and there were people filming at the sta- at the same time, and the actors were coming back and forth, changing their wigs and their costumes, and it was uh, it was uh, you know at, uh, told at high speed. Um, and um, I'd love um, to see it. Yeah, was it, it was, recorded? It was, it was recorded. Yes, Bar- Barbara Broccoli produced it. Okay, she she she, she recorded one of the. One I'd of the love years. to see it. I love the documentary. Can I? Before we let you get out of here, Danny, can I ask you just a couple of quick questions from listeners? Certainly. This is something we call "Grill the Guest." Mark Davidoff, which of Danny's father's films would he have loved to direct? Not just in terms of the quality, but just for the sheer experience. What a great question of making that film. Wow. Um, well. My my favorite film on my father's uh, is really more it's it's more for emotional reasons, but it is a great film. We mentioned it, uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, oh, um, and w- one of the reasons is that my father directed it. He's in it, um, and and my grandfather, as, as 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 we said earlier, is in it, and he gives a fantastic performance. Um, I would like. I would like to be involved in that film, um, but maybe, maybe not, uh, uh, not, not directing it. Just making all those guys drinks. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's a great answer. <laughs> you know, Stanley Kubrick. You know this. You must know this. That was one of his Desert Island films when he was asked. Oh, really? Ten films you could take. Treasure, huh. the, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Huh. Huh. Yeah, um, um, he had good taste. Yeah, quick one, Teresa. Well, I guess you'd have to choose one of his. One would have to. Two thousand and one, you'd have to. You'd have to. Or Strange Love. Yeah. Or Strange Love. Yeah. 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 Teresa Campman says, as a director, has Danny picked up techniques or ideas from some of the directors he's worked with, like Scorsese, for instance? Well, I guess you know when I was when I was really really young, and I got I got myself a Super Eight camera, and I was filming everything. and my father, my father said, "Danny, Danny, stop that! Stop, stop. <laughs> stop that now! Stop that!" And I go, what? 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 And he goes, "Well, he goes, okay. When you look from left to right and right to left, what is it you do?" So I look from left to right, right to left. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I give up. What? What is it that I do? He goes, "You blink. That's a cut." Concentrate on what it is that you're trying to say, and don't don't film all that nonsense in between. And that was not only a good lesson as far as filming is concerned, because you really can tell the difference between somebody who's shooting from the hip and doesn't know what they're doing to somebody who's who's actually looking for a specific thing um, to fulfill his his vision or his take on, on on the material. But it's also a good lesson in life. Really, 
concentrate on what it is that you're trying to tell and 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 what it is that you're what you're looking at, uh, rather than all the nonsense in between. That's rather profound. Um. Now that would bring up another question, like, what do you think are the telltale signs of a bad director? Um. Well. You know, every every director have has their own has their own universe, and that universe has its own rules, and and so it's 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 really difficult to give to give that as a sort of general uh, to have a general opinion on that because also a lot of people that look like they don't know what they're doing actually do know what they're doing, or later later you see a cut and you don't understand what was actually happening. It's all in the director's. In the director's head, and that's why the director director needs to be a, a, a visionary. It's, it needs to be his vision, and and when people interrupt that vision or 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 or, or don't or don't follow that lead, uh, uh, that's when things become murky and 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 sometimes they don't turn out the way that they should be. Um, and and my credo really is to work with people that I respect, uh, so that I can uh, so that I can do that. And I can I can support them one hundred percent, no matter what they may be doing that looks like it may be completely incorrect or wrong. Um, and and uh, I've wor- I've worked with people that you hardly even feel them. D- directing, they're just they're just there and they're sort of stealing. <laughs> they're, they're, it's it's so everything has a different approach. We're the opposite, really, Danny. We look like we know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have no clue. Well, tell us about your the the, the new film, the last photograph. Uh, the last photograph uh, um, was was brought to me by by a friend of mine called Simon Astaire, um, and it's a really simple concept. It's 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 a man who who loses a photograph, or it's, or maybe it's stolen, and uh, and and he starts to spiral, um, and you don't really understand why this means so much to him. And as the story is told in a sort of tapestry of of memories, uh, uh, breaking chronology, um, you realize. What it, what this photograph symbolizes, um, and that links us uh, to uh, 1988, uh, December 21st, uh, when a Pan Am plane exploded in the sky over Lockerbie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Is it co- is it going to be distributed widely? It's it's no, it, it was it was released in in one theater nationwide <laughs> uh, at the at the Lamley in Santa Monica and now it's on all digital platforms okay um, which is uh, which is basically iTunes Hulu Amazon it's okay we'll look for it this I found this is the last question I have and this is you found a trunk script of your dad's going through his papers years yes. ago yes film about a is it about a, a Mexican prostitute yes do I have that right yes that's correct and any intentions of, of of making that? Have you tried? Oh, have you tried to make it? Oh, oh, absolutely! It's 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 a it's a story called Amparo, um, and uh, it's about a writer in Mexico who's got a writer's block, um, and he meets uh, this uh, young Mexican prostitute, um, and that uh, uh, causes uh, him some problems. Um, including uh, being being followed by the by, by the pimp and, and causing complete madness uh, in this in this in this little town and it's it's a beautifully told story, uh, practically within f- four walls, 
um, so it wouldn't have to cost too much. And I would, I would love to, um, to, to make it someday. I think we would love to see a Danny Houston picture made from a John Houston screenplay. Oh, wouldn't we? God, Gilbert, would that be something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It really, it really was a, a, a treasure chest that I that I that I found. I found that amongst other other projects. One last thing about Sierra Madre too is the the real life mystery of B. Traven, which we will let people look up. Yes, which I learned about in your dad's memoir. Yeah, I, 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 Lauren Bacall told me the story of where where he 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 called her over and he and he pointed and he said, "Be Traven." <laughs> <laughs> if in fact it was Be Traven, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, a man of mystery who wrote yes. the original uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre story, and we'd, we, yeah. we we won't go into it here, but it's it's a fascinating mystery about yeah. about the making of that film yeah. that your dad changed his his point of view about over the over the years. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, but it's again. I mean, again, these guys are such. They're real smoke and mirrors, aren't they? My father Wells and characters like B. Traven. I mean, they they just love to to play into that. Yes, men of intrigue. Yes, and rascals. Rascals, mavericks, <laughs> mavericks. Yeah. Yeah. Gil, you have anything else for this uh, entertaining mm. fellow? Why ah. did you, Why did you drive around uh, one summer singing uh, the Adams Family theme? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> was this, I wasn't ready well, for that question. Uh, an homage no. yeah. to your, to your half sister. I mean, that is that. That's incredibly good research. Uh, um, um, and it's true. That is true. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was. Thank we were you. driving a a pickup uh, uh, that my sister has on her ranch near Sequoia National Park, and it was um, my sister, myself, uh, my nephews, uh, Jack, uh, Laura, Matthew. Um, and the Adams family had just come out, and we were feeling quite, um, quite boisterous. Uh, uh, so we we changed we changed the melody to uh, uh, "You can do what you want to do, whatever, however it goes." Because because do what we're you want to do, say what you want, say what say because we're the Houston family. Luckily, we weren't shooting uh, uh, shooting uh, bullets out up in the air as well. But, She's but, wonderful uh, in that yeah, picture. Yeah, was, isn't she? Both of them, yeah. both pictures. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. And the sequel. Was there a falling out? It, it seemed like you said between your father and Edward G. Robinson. Yes, I believe it was during the during the whole McCarthyism period. Yeah, yeah. Bogey's yeah. uh, sympathies uh, shifted around a little bit too. It's a, it's a. It's, it's, it's a delicate, it's delicate it's a very, business. It's a very delicate time, and it's and, and it's uh, without having, wanting to point any fingers at, at, at anybody, because there were some great film directors, writers, and yes. and, 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 and and directors, uh, actors that, uh, in hindsight, uh, are e- easy to condemn. Um, but uh, fear, guys, I guess fear yeah. is what. See, is what what makes these sort of things happen, and when you when you have a family and and and, and a profession and a and, and a job, and you, f- you feel that you're gonna you're gonna lose it, um, it's 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 shocking uh, how weak and spineless uh, we can sometimes be. Yes, we've had several guests on this show directly affected by Lee Grant was here, uh-huh. uh, Josh Mostel, Zero Mostel's son. So right. it's, it's a subject that's come up uh, re- repeatedly on the show, and no easy answers. Yeah. I remember hearing a quote from Paul Newman who said, it's very easy now to say what you would have done back then. Yeah, that's right. And yet that's your right. dad is to be credited for taking a stand and doing something about it and, and, yeah. and forming a committee and, 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 and protesting and, and 
Yeah, well, they don't putting make, his putting his weight behind it. Yeah, I mean, they don't they don't make uh, men like my father often. That's for sure. Yes, um, and uh, he was a incredible gentleman and um, had a very strong moral fiber, even though he'd been through all the ma- marriages and and uh, was a drinker and a smoker and 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 and, and lived life to to its fullest. But he was uh, he had a very strong sense of what was what was right and wrong and. And um, you know it's 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 hard hard to come across men like that. I remember, I remember with 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 Ronald Reagan. He was friends with Nancy, but with Ronald, Ronald Reagan. He wasn't a big fan of Ronald Reagan. And then when Ronald Reagan became president, he said, "A far better actor than I thought he was." <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, Danny. As as a representative of the family, we thank you for all the generations and the decades of entertainment. Thank you, thank what, you very what, much. What a wonderful, wonderful legacy! We'll we'll urge people to see the 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 new movie, the last photograph. I want people to see this Frankenstein movie that was made in 2015. Gilbert, you'll love this. Yes, I definitely want to. And watch Ivan that. Ecstasy, which is a real performance, a real an, another in its way hard film to watch. It it, it is. It's it's a study of a, of, of a man's uh, a death, uh, yes. but it's also a great satire of, of of Hollywood and a bit of a sort of poison letter. It makes the player look like a Walt Disney picture. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a real poison pen letter to Hollywood, <laughs> but very very well made. Thank yeah, you. We'll tell thank people you. to look for that as well. Just quickly, we want to thank Krista Rose and uh, our friend Dave Seidel here, uh, and AJ. We want to thank A.J. Fewerman for, for, for setting this AJ, up. A.J., thank you, A.J., for setting this up. I hope you had fun. I did. I had a great time. Th- great talking to you guys and great talking to people that are, so, that are knowledgeable and that, uh, um, and that know, know so much about the films that I love. Thank you. We care. And you'll never hear a better Casper <laughs> Gutman. <laughs> Impossible. If, the, if, 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 there's a, if there's a film with, that has problems with its, with its soundtrack, uh, we know what characters you can play. Yes, he's going <laughs> to... He's gonna he's gonna get extra work looping old Mr. Moto pictures. <laughs> Danny, thanks so much for your time and for this. Uh, oh, you're very well. Our listeners will love it. I hope so. so. Good spending time with you guys. This has Same been here. Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. And we've been speaking to one of the Houston dynasty. Danny Houston, a man who's done basically everything. He has. Show business. He has. And uh, and so we want to thank him, and we want to close out with uh, his grandpa, Walter Houston, singing September song. Good oh, choice. Wow. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Thank you. When I was a young man courting the girls, I played me a waiting game If a maid refused me with tossing curls I'd let the old earth take a couple of whirls While I plied her with tears in place of pearls And as time came around, she came my way As time came around, she came But it's a long, long while From May to December And the days grow short When you reach September And the autumn weather Turns the leaves to flame 
And I haven't got time For the waiting game And the days turn to gold As they grow few September November And these few golden days I'd share with you These golden days I'd share with you And the wine dwindles down To a precious brew September November And these few vintage years I'd share with you These vintage years I'd share with you Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn. 